Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the project. For the next hour or so, you will be erect. I'm going to talk about a few different topics and a couple subjects. I'm going to find you at that spot where your mind and your soul connect. Yeah, it's a project, but it's got a name. We deemed it the Project. So cram it into your fucking ear holes, folks. This is as good as it's ever gonna get. Just like to apologize for that, folks. That's a quick excerpt out of one of the short films I'm currently working on. Um, this is Harrison Harper, your host. Once again, folks, it's episode 10. And I'm certainly happy to be here with you all today. The episode will be a little bit late this week. It didn't come out on Sunday night, okay? I apologize. I'm not a perfect man. I'm not. But we had another unfortunate writer's strike that we as a unit here, the team at the project, uh, me and my employees, we had to do a little bit of navigating through that. And uh, here we are getting the podcast out. It is uh, Monday as I record this, which makes it September 21st already which is scary, folks. I think this is technically the first day of fall. Fall is uh, upon us, is here, folks. Summer is over. It is a memory, and if I uh, blinked, you probably missed it, but it doesn't matter because you didn't do anything fun, I imagine. And if you did, you're lying to yourself and those around you. Um, Many will blame the COVID pandemic on ruining their summer, but the problem is that many of you were going to waste anyways. So we could look at this as a negative or we could look at what it was. Probably a positive. A lot of people around you didn't want to see you anyways. And you being around them, it, it upsets many of the people you love. So maybe a little isolation wasn't the worst thing for you, all right? Um, we got a big week up. I had a great interview, a little bit of a, we'll call it impromptu. I uh, was trying to get my other friend on and then just, you know, couldn't get it organized. It's, it's tough when you're not doing these interviews in person. You know, you're, you're toggling technology, all that bullshit. And um, ended up just reaching out to my buddy Trey Lewis, who's a really cool guy. Got a cool story. Quite a few, um, you know, impressive accomplishments for his age already. And, um, you know, he's a good hockey player. And now he's a teacher over there in New Brunswick. And a good uh, native fellow we came on and we, we, had, we had a good talk. We talked some hockey, talked a little bit about his career and, um, you know, where, where he's played. And then we, you know, we kind of dived into some other stuff. We had a good time. We ended up talking for about an hour. So long interview, one of the longer ones I've ever done. The longest one that has been featured on the project. So uh, I think it's going to be some good content there for you. I'm not going to touch on that too much more because uh, I, won't, I won't take much time before I toss it over to that. Um, this was in a, yesterday I was uh, all geared up to record and I feel like I, out of nowhere I had like a write, like a, not like a writer's strike, we'll call it a podcaster's uh, strike block and um, I just didn't want to force it. Um, so I did it today and um, yeah, we're going to have, we're going to get it out. Uh, I'm going to try to adhere to my Sunday schedule though as best I can, but you know, unfortunately this week I, I, I just pushed it back, all right? I wanted to put together a better show for you, the viewer. You're so important to me, um, so I just didn't want—I didn't want to let you down. I didn't want to do that. It's—it's—it's—it's um, it's, it's, it's September. I mean, school's already started. Um, I wonder how it's going there. It must be a little weird for the kids going to school. Um, I'm not—I don't really—I don't have any cousins around. I haven't seen. I'm not seeing kids. I'm not seeing the children and how they're reacting to the current landscape. 
I mean, it's a crazy time of year. It really is. I mean, and I feel I'm like, I remember like going to, imagine going to like a new school, like well, at least if you had some familiarity, like, you know, you're a fifth grader returning to sixth grade, you've been at the same elementary school for seven years now, you know, you have some familiarity, but what about these kids that are, you know, going from sixth to seventh grade, you know, they're making that change to junior high and they got a new school, they got to get all new friends and then they got to do it while wearing a mask on their face and trying to stay socially distant. It'd be pretty wild. It'd be pretty weird. I mean, I remember how weird it was going from the sixth grade to the seventh grade because, you know, I went from kindergarten to sixth grade at university elementary school, which was a straight shot of seven years. And at that point, when you're like 11, that's like fucking 80% of your life. Like, that's like all you know. So then you go to this new school and they, and they trick you. They make you think junior high is like the biggest, you know, step in your life. And you go there and none of the kids know each other yet. You know, they're all sitting there. I can still remember walking into seventh grade. Um, not intimidated, but, you know, you don't know anyone. You can tell everyone's sitting there, like, you know, stick up their ass. They don't know what to think. And we were sitting there before the teacher came in once. And it's that time of year when literally, you know, you're not even talking. There's not even a ruckus from the teachers out of the room because no one even knows each other yet. And the teacher steps out briefly to talk to uh, whoever was in the hall or whatever it was. And this, this young man sitting right in front of me, all of a sudden, um, cups both of his hands to his mouth and he just starts projectile vomiting all over himself right in front of me. This is the first day of school. He's like the first 22 minutes of class in seventh grade. And I'll never forget this. He, and he was like trying to catch it. He's trying to catch his puke and puke's fucking flying around and he just sprints out. And I remember it got like really awkward. And I remember like no one knew what to say. And then for some reason I just blurted out, is anyone hungry? And it kind of got a little bit of a rise. I mean, I forgot that part of the story, but this kid came in extremely hot to, to, the, to the school year, throwing up all over himself. Not others, thank God. But this kid was interesting. I mean, you look back at all, I, I often think how lucky we are, you know, with social media and stuff that we can, you know, we can keep tabs on so many people we grew up with and knew. But there's so many out there that we have no idea. I want to know where this kid is at. His name was Brandon. Um, I, I don't, I mean, I don't know his story. If he, um, if he, ha he had something going on, but he, I have endless stories about how wild this kid was. This kid was insane. Um, one of my good friends, Jesse Dirk Pothier, went to elementary school with him. He made the trip with me over to the new junior high we were at. And he used to torment, torment, uh, young Brandon a little bit. I'm not saying he was bullying him, but he, tormenting is what we'd say. It was, it was a guys giving another guy a hard time in the playground, we'll call it. You know, just they're bugging him around. But it, it couldn't have been nine days in the school. And Brandon had got into it with Jesse at gym class. They were in the gym. I think we were playing basketball or something. A little bit of pushing and shoving ensued. And, and that kind of thing, you know, embarked upon one another. Um, there was a dispute. And Brendan left the class, left the gymnasium. In, in a heap, he was very upset. And um, we didn't really know where he went. And all of a sudden, I hear, unbeknownst to me, Brendan come charging back, flying into the gymnasium, wielding a socket wrench above his head, screaming to Jesse that he was going to kill him. And I can still see the look on Jesse's face. He started laughing, but he sprinted out of the gym and in a high-speed chase ensued. This kid broke into the janitor's closet, grabbed a socket wrench, and tried to beat my friend senseless. It was sick. It was wild. And honestly, it, it wasn't surprising. This kid was nuts. And I want to know where this kid is today. And if someone knows him, I want him on the podcast. I'd love to talk to him. I mean, this kid, this kid should, these are the kids that we need writing books. 
Like these, you ever think about that? Who's the wildest kid you came in contact in your school, in your school days? I mean, that's not even the wildest one to me. That's just the first one that came to my mind. We're talking about school starting back up. I mean, that kind of came here, but I laugh like this is random and I wasn't going to talk about this, but obviously COVID-19 still being real. And um, there's obviously there's going to be cases. There's kids going back to school. I'm hoping that they're taking the precautions necessary, that we're not going to get a second wave and start all this madness over again. But it was like the first week of school, and I don't know the scenario fully, but the principal of Bones High School in Calgary, Alberta, which is, you know, pretty renowned, renowned, is that even the word? A well-known institution in Calgary. Anyways, the principal makes this long post, which I saw on Facebook, but I don't know if that's how it was made or if it was just brought on Facebook. She went on this absolute spiel, and she like was personally calling out the premier of Alberta, Jason Kenney, saying, this is your fault. And he called someone else out too, and they were like literally like, they were naming people and like directly pointing the finger at them being like, your lack of, your lack of guidance has brought this sickness upon my halls. And I literally had to laugh. I wanted to be like, can we fucking relax a lot? Not even a little bit. Like, let's fucking dial it way back here. Let's bring it way back. I mean, it's unfortunate this virus is around, but I mean, folks, let's fucking be honest here. Not one thing has changed since all this shit started. We're just kind of acting like we're not doing anything to fight this. We're just kind of sitting here. I mean, lots of us didn't work all summer. I'm starting to get a little frustrated. I'm starting to get a little reckless here. I mean, what are we going to do? Like, of course, there, there was one case, too, of course, that ignited this rant that this principal posted. And it's unfortunate that anyone did get sick. And I hope that there has been no further spread of this sickness due to this incident. But to go out there and single, you're, you're calling out politicians by name, asking them what they could have done differently. Like, I'm not, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure what we could have done, but I'm not sure if that's the direction. Publicly shaming our political figures to, I, I don't even know, what do you want us to say? There's a fucking pandemic. Nobody knows what's going on. Nobody knows what's going on. Our, I think this is a little bit blown out of proportion at this point now. I mean, there's lots of cases, yes. There are deaths, yes. It's scary, but we can't shut down the entire world for something that we don't know how to stop yet. And the way that we've been trying to shut it down by just sitting idle, I don't know if it's, I don't know if she's working that well, but anyways, this is definitely not what I wanted to get going on about, but it's just hilarious. You know, lots going on. I just feel like nothing positive ever makes the limelight anymore. It's just sad. It's sad. I don't want to talk about that anymore, folks. Um, keep talking about this every week as it goes by and every day it changes. Like I was going to do the episode yesterday. I was going to talk about this TikTok proposal, which last week I was going on about it being with Walmart, which is now Oracle. But as I almost recorded yesterday, I click on the internet today to read a couple more articles and that apparently whole, it's changed its tune completely. So folks, to reiterate what I've been trying to talk about, it's this stupid app TikTok that's all over the news every second we look at it, but TikTok was under um, a proposed ban that has been now pushed back to September 27th. They wanted to ban TikTok in the United States because of all the data that this Chinese company ByteDance can hold in order to run the proper algorithms to show users what they think are videos that would be interested to them. So this app takes all your data and it tries to track what you do on your phone and then it tries to show you relevant videos to what you like on TikTok. 
And obviously, in storing all said data, there's a little bit of issues of that. You know, U.S., China, big, always, a, always a fucking pissing contest. Trump tried to ban it. And now, last week, as I said, it was supposed to be Walmart and Microsoft. But now Oracle has stepped up and is looking like it is going to be the suitor. And so what they're going to do now, Oracle is going to host the cloud computing services that... TikTok will use for its US operations. So at the moment, like Oracle is literally like a dime. I don't like I think when I think of Oracle, I think of old men wearing golf shirts and and like working PowerPoints probably. That's they probably love PowerPoints and they do a lot of general meetings at that corporation. So I don't know what they're up to, but they're they're kind of falling behind. You know, they're no Microsoft, they're no Amazon, definitely no Google. So it's kind of just a random, it's a random company I find just to come flying up to the forefront. But Walmart is still involved, I believe. Uh, ByteDance is going to hold on to apparently 80% of the company. Oracle's going to have a 12% stake. Walmart's going to be in there at like a seven. And apparently in doing so, that'll make the company a majority owned US firm because 40% of ByteDance's financing is from US venture firms. So if you tally up all that money, Majority of it's American, so at that point, it's going to be deemed an American company. But as this was the news yesterday, apparently now TikTok Global, which is in the works of being established in the States, which is supposed to bring 25,000 jobs to the country, Oracle is now claiming that reports have changed and that ByteDance will have no ownership stakes at all in the new, I guess, version of TikTok, which will be called TikTok Global, like I said. So, I mean, we're just going to keep watching it. I mean, at, at the moment, it's it sounds like Oracle taking this onto their cloud services is essentially, it's basically like Oracle's just letting everything that's already been happening, and they're just going to, like, host it. And, I mean, through my understanding, I don't believe a fucking thing has changed. Like, the whole worry was everyone getting our, you know, Americans' information leaking to China. What I mean... Everyone's information is already out in the web so deep anyways. I mean, I feel like if you really wanted to learn anything about anyone, it's not too fucking hard these days. But, I mean, it's just crazy to think that. I, I don't know why. Like, there's no way they're ever going to actually gas TikTok. I mean, there's over 100 million users. It's a huge app. Like, everyone hates Trump to begin with. Like, I don't think he's, he's not going to actually ban that. That's a lot of young voters. Like, it's just, it's just going to piss a lot of people off. I don't think there's a lot of upside to that. So... It's just going to be interesting to see how this plays out. I mean, it's always funny because you always got all these old fucks trying to like, you know, make regulations and stuff on how all these new apps work and they don't even understand what these apps are in the first place. So, I mean, just another interesting tidbit here in the TikTok saga as it continues. I mean, I don't like to keep talking about it because at this point I'm talking about every fucking episode and nothing's changing. All right. Nothing's changing, folks. We're going to go, we're going to apart from that. We're going to move on to the interview, okay? I want you to hear my man, my man Trey. Very smart kid. Uh, he's educated. He's a, He was a great hockey player. He's a good guy. And me and him had a lot of fun when we played together in junior. I was 19. He was 20. Got one season in with him. And um, I haven't seen him in years. So until we got this uh, podcast going, I hadn't talked to him in a while. So it was a very nice opportunity for me to catch up with him. And, um, you know, introducing to you, the listener, I think, you know, he, he, he played with some really cool players, played in the, in the Quebec League at a really cool time and had some serious success in doing so. I mean, 
Unfortunately, he never made the NHL, but in terms of someone that didn't play in the NHL, I mean, he accomplished almost all that you could in, and all that you'd want to anyway. So without further ado, let's throw it over to the big body, Trey Bomber, they used to call him. Bomber. I don't know why they called him that, but it's kind of a cool nickname. Anyways, folks, here it is, episode 10, the interview. Thank you so much. Oh. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the program. We have an interview here. This is our interview segment portion of the project. We have today with us none other than former Halifax Moosehead captain, Miramichi Timberwolf, St. Francis Xavier University X-Men, Alice Bictook, Hawk, University of New Brunswick, Red, Varsity Red, a former member of the Coventry Braves, and a current member of the Perth Andover River VT. Not sure what that means. Ladies and gentlemen, it's none other than Trey Lewis. Trey, welcome to the show. Welcome to the program. <laughs> Thanks for having me, man. Oh my God, it seems like I played for so many teams. I didn't even realize it was that many. I just went to your elite prospects and just started reading down the line. <laughs> that's crazy that they got the uh, the Perth Andover on there too. I like that. Man, uh, that's actually a, it's a great website, honestly. I don't know if you are active on any of those like hockey DB. Like that was the first one I got onto, but elite prospects, like they have, they have some guys peewee stats up there. Like it's hysterical. <laughs> Really oh funny. my god i feel like that's not healthy no it's really not i mean i, I feel like it's a bunch of sickos who work there like they got it <laughs> but it's a good thing you got it those are definitely crazy hockey parents that are running those stats oh man it's so true and now you can get like uh you can get a paid version where you like subscribe to it monthly and then you can like like look at case okay, someone i'm looking at yours like someone's given you your skill ratings. I can only see a bit of it because I'm not oh, come on your now. shot blocking is scored at 14. Your leadership is at 14 <laughs> aggression, 14 hitting 14. Like this is hilarious. But anyways, Trey, the hands got to be like negative two. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Oh man. I love that they got shot blocking. Like that would, <laughs> if I had to pick one, that might be the number one I'd go You'd with. You'd be eating pills all day. <laughs> Well, I mean, oh, that's outrageous. Trey, thanks so much for coming on to the show, though. And this was kind of last minute. I wanted to get you on. It was I was thinking about getting you on one day anyways, but it just kind of happened and we started talking on Twitter and here we are. But uh, we actually played together for one year. I would have been 19. You would have been 20. But other than since then, man, I feel like I haven't seen or talked to you until today and in forever. So, I mean, we've got a lot to catch up on. You've done definitely some cool things. And for those people that don't know you, uh, I mean, pretty established hockey player and, and now you're a teacher. So I guess we'll kind of talk about a couple cool things you've done and then just kind of shoot the shit as we go on here. I hope that works for you. Thanks again for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me. Like you said, we've, uh, we've mentioned it before, but we finally kind of pulled it together the last few days, but no, looking forward to it. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. No, hundred percent. So, so for those of you who do not know, Trey, um, had a pretty established uh, career in the, in the Quebec League. Uh, won a Memorial Cup as the captain of the Mooseheads. Heard of it? Not sure if you have. Um, he was a captain of an absolute stacked Q team. And you also won two uh, uh, AUS championships out there uh, with two different schools and university, which has probably never been done before. And then you got to go over to, you know, across seas and play a little bit in Europe before you finished off. Uh, you definitely had a pretty good career, you know, uh, to do what you did and what you did. But let's just kind of let's just go over your hockey career quick. I mean, that's always fun to do. And then before we start randomly hashing out nonsense, but uh, you grew up um, in Aldouane, right? Is that where you're from? 
Yeah, so that's that's essentially just outside um, the reserve that I'm from, uh, Elzy Booktook. So Alduane, it's where I grew up with my grandparents, and I've actually lived there my whole life up until uh, just recently. So Al, good old Alduane. That's unreal. So that's like kind of uh, by Moncton, right? Yeah, the easiest way uh, I I find to describe it to people is it's almost right in between Moncton and Miramichi, New Brunswick. Okay, perfect. And New Brunswick itself is the middle of nowhere. And I mean, those those are two of the fairly big populated areas in New Brunswick. So we're we're pretty middle of nowhere. Yeah, so those people who don't even know what we're talking about in that regard, this is northern New Brunswick we're talking about. So up there, um, a great spot. I mean, honestly, I, I've been there a couple of times with you guys heading back to your, your places, you and our good friend Tyrone Sock. Shout out to Tyrone. Absolute beauty. <laughs> but uh, no, uh, definitely a good spot out there. So you started playing hockey and then you started playing in Moncton, right? That was where you played your minor hockey? Yeah. So like, well, our minor hockey, we started out as Kent Center, which is pretty much just surrounding area around Rishabukto. And then it because our uh, our populations are so small, when we got to Bantam um, or Peewee and Bantam, it changed to West Kent, which went from about Capilay just to before Miramichi. And then when we got, we got to Midget, our population was even smaller. So the closest uh, teams we could go to was Moncton and Miramichi. So a uh, funny story, actually, I don't know how many people would have done this in Midget hockey, but our first year in Midget, me and Tyrone played with the Moncton Flyers. And that fun year, we went to Telus Cup. And then the next year, the zones changed and we ended up back in Miramichi with Cole and Rankin and, and, Robert McDonald coaching us, yeah. who ended up coaching us with the Timberwolves. So Absolutely. pretty, pretty crazy that we had to play against Moncton the next year in the league finals and beat them, but wearing a different jersey. <laughs> so you had a lot of buddies then on that team you played. On like, you could- um, well, the year that the year before we were with Moncton, yeah. we had a pretty old team. So we had like the Sonier twins who went on to tear it up in the in the Q and University. Uh, you know, they were with the Flyers. So a lot of that. A lot of that team, we were the younger side. So then when we switched to Miramichi, you know, Moncton had a lot of fresh faces. Yeah, so. yeah, for sure. And you guys had a pretty, yeah, you guys had a good squad there in Miramichi. I remember a lot of uh, a lot of fellas we ended up playing with on that uh, junior team in, in Miramichi later on came from that program. Legendary Rob McDonald, who's still behind the bench, I believe, <laughs> out in Miramichi. Yeah, he's the the head coach and, and GM there in, uh, in Miramichi. And, and of course, the played with us... Um, with the Timberwolves, but also with the Rivermen was the great Brett Malone. Brett Malone, who was uh, I? We got to get him on the pod on the podcast because like Spit and Chicklets has Bugsy Malone. That's their boy. We're gonna have our bud- oh, we're yeah. gonna have Budget Bugsy, who is Brett Malone. We call him Budget Bugsy, oh. which Brett Malone is a little cousin of Ryan Malone, so he'll be our Bugsy for the podcast over here. But yeah, we'd have to get him on once too. I love that. He's a beauty. So anyway, sorry to interrupt there. So you're playing for Miramichi, and then uh, the Q drops at, at 15, right? 16. Yeah. So like end of your 15 year. So didn't make didn't make the Q at 16. Played midget in Miramichi, then made it at 17, 18, 19, 20 in in, in Halifax. So that that was good. Yeah. That was a good run there for sure. Did, did you, were you a high draft pick in the Q draft when you were young? Well, the year our draft year uh, in midget, I actually blew my knee out. Uh, had to get surgery in January, so I missed almost my whole year of midget. But lo and behold, the legendary Robert McDonald, who had coached me, uh, you know, almost every year growing up, he was actually a scout for the Mooseheads at the time. And, uh, you know, he had somehow convinced them to put a little faith in me. 
and draft me despite blowing out my knee. And so I think I was drafted fourth round. Yeah, uh, that's pretty odd. Me and Tyrone actually went uh, like a couple spots beside each other. It was it was pretty cool. But uh, yeah, thank God, uh, thank God for Rob. Or maybe I would have never ended up in Halifax at all. You know, man, what a time! Like, honestly, like I didn't play in the queue, but I feel like for some reason, my eyes like Halifax just seems like this nasty major junior franchise. Like you got to be there for four years. Like how many games you play in the queue? Probably almost three hundred or something. Like. Uh, it's yeah, it, it's up there. I mean, you, there's a lot of suspensions probably in there, or mix in a few. You, yeah, man, you but, fought uh, a lot too up in, when you played in the queue. Like, how many fights do you think you got in when you're playing for the Mooseheads? Um, I was probably on average somewhere around ten a year, yeah. ten a season, somewhere like that. So not nothing crazy, but you know, it was good to get it get the anger out once in a while, Absolutely. right? Absolutely, and and you <laughs> and you got to play with some nasty guys. Like, I don't know if, for people who also don't realize the year. Trey is the captain of the Mooseheads when they won the Mem Cup in 2012-2013. But, like, who is on that team? Like, McKinnon, Druan, Kukali. Like, there's so many good players. Yeah, we, we actually had a, a really good team. I think, like, the Q had done a survey, and uh, the old Brad Richards and uh, Vinny LeCavalier, Ramuski Oceanic, I think they beat us out in the final. But, no, like you said, we had a stacked team. How can you – not go for it when you've got a, someone like Nathan McKinnon on your team and, and Jonathan Drouin and um, Martin Furk, who recently was, saw even more fame when he proved to the world that he's got a crazy hard shot. Yeah. You know, we were eating those wristers on the feet in practice, oh, I bet. trying to trying to tell people. And then he goes and shoots a, what was it, 109, it's I think? 109 oh, miles God. an hour, yeah. With like a 75 flex, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, he uses a 70 flex. That's so hilarious. Um, that's outrageous. So yeah, you played, so what was, um, how old did you play two years with McKinnon then? Yeah. So we had him when we, when he was 16, he came and Drouin actually came at 16 halfway through the year. So that was the year we, um, we had like Cameron Critchlow was our captain and, and we lost in the semifinals in the league. Yeah. Um, so that was pretty much just them warming up and, you know, nobody really said it much, but I think everybody kind of knew that. The next year was the year we were going for it, so it uh, it worked out all right in the end, I guess. <laughs> Seriously. So, what was how good was McKinnon when he was just like 16, 17? Like, did you know this guy was like was going to grow up and be a stud? Like, are you surprised seeing how nasty he is now after you played with him back then? Not not surprised at all. Like, oh, it was it was hard. It was hard to practice. Like, I, I say it was hard to practice, but then it made games <laughs> seem a lot easier. You know, when when you're when you have to defend. McKinnon and Drouin and Ferk and those guys in practice every day. You know, it doesn't seem so bad when you when you face uh, when you face other guys in real games. But I remember, like he used to, we used to shoot. We'd start at the center ice in practice, and we'd shoot a puck to the other boards, and it was favoring one side. And two guys would go and get it, and they were on offense, and the other two guys were supposed to just defend. Mm-hmm. And McKinnon would race you to the puck where he was further, and just go on offense right away, like. Just, just ridiculous speed. I always said best skater I ever saw. Drew had the best hands I ever saw, and Ferk had the best shot I ever saw. So just a trifecta. Not a bad first line. So they, they were like they were one two. They were on a line together. <laughs> yeah, for a bit, for sure. Um, I think they ended up switching it up at some point, and uh, they were definitely always on the power play together because Ferk would play the top and just beat goalies clean with wristers. That's wild, man. So and. How like other than you, you guys obviously having a stack squad with like McKinnon, but like who was really nasty um, in the in the league when you were on your 
four-year period going through there? Like, who were, like, the best players in the queue when you went through? Well, like, Jonathan Huberto was was probably the best player for, especially when I was 17 and 18. Especially, he would probably be up there. You know, we played against Couturier, too, who has just become, I think he was a Selkie finalist, even Couturier. I think he um, won it. He might have even I wanted it. Eh? Yeah. He's gross, man. Like, he's really good. It's it's crazy how good he is, and and I love that he's one of those guys that he's even better playing in the show than he was in junior. I I mean they're they're playing with some better players, but Couturier was ridiculous. Huberto was ridiculous. Even you know the Sea Dogs had just a stacked team. They had uh, you know multiple first round picks, and they had Bolio on D, and and um, who else did they have? Like Zach Phillips was a first rounder played with the sea dogs they had charlie Coyle. the sea dogs yeah. had oh my god they, they the sea dogs were really good too the, there's a i find that whole um maritime division in uh the queue is pretty nasty like all those franchises seem like they're pretty good like and they got nice ranks and good support is that like it's pretty it's not a bad league to be or division sorry within the league to be a part of no oh no like i i think it's a blast too like you said and you know moncton just got a brand new rank and um Moncton's got a sick rink. Halifax got a sick rink. Even you know PEI. I, I like playing in PEI's rinks. I th- I think they're I think they're great. And um, who's the other t- Bathurst? Bathurst has a really nice rink too. I I felt bad in uh, so Bathurst is their crowds weren't great. And the start of the very first game of our season on the year that we won, uh, we played Bathurst home opener. And I had never I never saw that many fans in the rink in Bathurst. And I think we beat them like nine one, or nine nine one or nine two. And I was like, these poor fans <laughs> that came out to see that and just got slacked. I felt like I honestly like felt half. Bad. I've I they still have a team, don't they? Oh yeah, yeah. And they they won a member, which is yeah. Man, when I a, saw that, I was so confused because I don't even. I remember going up and watching a couple of games with you. I remember we went up and see, watched them play in playoffs a couple of times. One time when they were playing. Valdor, I think, when Valdor had a really good team, but that like that place is yeah, kind of a ghost town. I hope they're doing like so. You're saying you could probably come in for their one crowd of the year and just wax them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I think I think it's been better. Like I said, they they won a Mem Cup, and actually, um, a guy from the same reserve that I'm from, from Elsie Bookdook, he won a Mem Cup with them, Elijah Francis. So it's uh, pretty crazy. Our reserves got two mem cups in the in within a span of like five years Oh, that's actually sick and then he went on to play for yeah. the wolves too didn't he yeah he did he was the captain of the wolves the next year and he ended up playing with us in in lz book took with the senior team this past year oh, too that's so that's wicked so yeah so you you play you win the mem cup in 12 13 and then the next year uh this is when you we met and i still don't really under, i still never really knew the whole story of how you ended up coming down to junior a but all of a sudden, you're you're winning the Mem Cup, going to show camp with Calgary, right? If I'm not mistaken, yeah, went, yeah. And then you come in down to Junior A, and we had a stacked team in the Maritime League, and then you joined us, and we were actually gross. That was such a fun year, man. So just oh, tell man. us a bit about that. Your 20 year old year in Junior, like how all that kind of came to be. So like I started having problems with my hips towards the end of my 19 year, and then. They didn't get any better when I went out to Calgary, so it didn't get much of an off season. Uh, you know, got right back into it with Halifax for my twenty year, and I just it was. I think I put so much more expectations on myself that as soon as my hips started to bug me, it just like pissed me off beyond belief. Incredibly frustrated, 
And, you know, I, I tried to tell the team that and they said, we'll send you to get it looked at. And the doctor did the MRI um, or whatever it was. And so I had bone spurs on my hip joints. He said, it's pretty common in hockey players. Um, but he said, you know, the surgery, if whether it needs surgery or not, is completely based on the player. So it, it's completely how long their hips hold up or how long they can take the pain. And so I guess Halifax wasn't willing to put one of their three 20 year old spots on my hips, making it through the year. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I mean, it, it sucks. It sucks. But, you know, I get it from their point of view and, you know, um, one MM cup, I guess I, I maybe might've thought of it like that. I was like, well, I mean, you know, I, I've, I've had a pretty good major junior career and I knew that uh, Miramichi was stacking up and that seemed like a much better option than, you know, getting traded. And I think they, they had said they'd, they'd rather not trade me in the maritime division. I guess that makes sense. They probably didn't want me crossing Drew, cross-checking Drouin in the back of the neck every game, yeah. which is, you know, I'm that type of player that might have done something like that. But um, no, it makes sense. And, and like you said, it came down to Miramichi and uh, my hips held up and we had a stacked team and, and that was one of the funnest years I ever had in my life, I think. Dude, we had a fucking year that time. That was... I, again, we're going to bring up Rob McDonald. I don't know if he actually, like, if a lot of these pieces fell in magically or if he should get some credit as, like, he was GM of the year that year. All of a sudden, we had a gross team in Miramichi, and it's such a disservice that not only did we not win that league, that we didn't go all the way to the <laughs> yeah. fucking RBC final. Oh, man. Like, I, I really think we had the best junior A team in the country. We were so gross, man. I think at one point, I think every one of our D-men had played major junior. Like we were, and we were big and we were tough. And like, that's a, the Maritime oh, League doesn't man. get any credit, but it it is full of good players. And, and we had a stack team with a bunch of good Maritime boys, a bunch of beauties. Yeah. Well, it's crazy. Like that year was so much fun and got to play with, you know, all those guys that, like you said, have played Riverman midget with and, and, you know, I've grown up with really a lot of those guys. So that was, that was a blast. And if only we could have won, I just can, you know, we got first place in the league overall and, <laughs> oh man, I just wish we would have won that year, but you know, we had a blast anyway. We, we did have a really good time and, and that's how you and I ended up, you know, crossing paths obviously and how uh, we got in touch to eventually come and meet on and talk about this show. But, but that was really fun year, man. Like I, I again, I will always say, I think, uh, I had a lot of fun playing major junior. I didn't obviously have a career close to the success as you did on the ice there, there, but I mean, I think I had just as much fun for maybe if not more playing junior a. Like, Oh yeah. And like, I I feel the same way. That was, that was such a blast. And uh, I was, I was just telling you before we we started recording there, the, uh, the old dungeon burnt down. Oh my God. And I don't know. I'm so so glad you brought that up and we didn't forget to talk about this. So (laughs) this was unheard of to me. Like when we, so Trey comes down from Halifax to come play with us. And at the time, Tyrone Sock, whom we've already talked about, he was 20 and he had lived, he had an apartment and it was on in Chatham. Anyone knows in uh, the Chatham <laughs> side of the river. And it was on Duke downtown street. Chatham. It was like downtown Chatham. It was on Duke street. I'll never forget it. And it was li- literally in the basement of this ho- house. Like, I'm not going to say it was a hell hole, but like it was called the, it was called the dungeon for a reason. And so Trey gets, yeah. comes down from Halifax and then Trey moves in with Ty and they both live as 20 year olds 
20 or a couple 20 bombs. <laughs> like it was so funny, man. Like, so everyone else is in billets or living with their aunts and parents. And we, we would just <laughs> all go to your place and hang out. It was awesome. That, uh, I, I can't believe that that basement apartment would have passed any kind of inspection. I mean, no <laughs> when, when the right. snow melted, <laughs> when the snow melted, I remember like there was like squishy, squishiness under my floor in my bedroom. And like, at one point I think there was even mushrooms growing on the wall. Like it was, there was no way it was healthy, no. but I mean, it, it must've been cheap. So the, the team didn't mind paying for it. I oh think. Oh my and, God, man. And, that uh, place was fucking amazing. It was so pure Chatham. Like I wish if anyone knows <laughs> Chatham was like, it was just such a Chatham spot. And it was right by that Dooley's pool hall. Oh, I have a oh lot of good stories about Dooley's that I'm about to slowly start unraveling through this show. But it was close to this pool <laughs> hall, which was a grimy old joint. And we used to go play there. And people would, like, come back after the point that people, like, knew what the dungeon was. They were, like, aware of it as an after spot <laughs> after Dooley's. <laughs> Dooley's, yeah. Good old Dooley's. That was that was within walking distance, was which was not a great idea. No. But like you said, we, we end up by the end of the – end of the season we'd walk into Dooley's and people that we didn't know would ask us if there was a party at the dungeon yeah. which was uh getting a little out of hand that's when you know the season should be over and we should probably be moving out yeah, so imagine and, and the, the, you can't be having the Dooley's crowd come flying into your place after late night 2 a.m <laughs> people are swinging exactly like each other earlier you can't have them all coming <laughs> over and keeping that party going at your place but no we had a, the, such, the a post, yeah, such a good time such a good time um so after your time in Miramichi, you go on and you start playing for St. of X and the CIS. But then you did something kind of unique. You ended up transferring after two seasons at St. of X and going to University of New Brunswick, which is a, I mean, renowned powerhouse in not just U sports hockey, but like they're just known as a, a dynamo. So you not you were on two good teams. You won with both of them. Tell us a little bit about your your CIS career and and you played in the AUS, which for people who don't know of the three leagues in U Sports Hockey, I got to imagine that's the most competitive one. So tell us a little bit about your uh, you know your time playing U Sports Hockey. Yeah, that like uh, you did you did a pretty good job covering it. That was uh, I started out at St. FX right after uh, our year with Miramichi. Played two years there, and my second year, we won uh, AUS title, and we got silver at nationals. So that was uh, that was a blast, and you know to to beat to beat the powerhouse UMB in the AUS final, you know that was a that was a big deal for for any any team in the AUS to beat UMB is a big deal. And like you said, I'm uh, it was a little weird. Uh, probably most people wouldn't have expected it, but I ended up transferring from St. FX to our rival UMB which I'm sorry for any St. FX listeners or fans, you know, it had nothing to do with St. FX. You know, I, I loved the people there. I, I had a blast playing on that hockey team and I made a lot of good memories and a lot of good friends. But I, I think I'm, I think I slowly realized that I'm a homebody, you know, and, and it felt good to come back home and, and, you know, redshirt that year. I think, I think redshirt in that year of, of AUS hockey kind of reignited my, my love for hockey a little bit. I think I might've been a little burnt out, you know, uh, that year that I redshirted, I got to play some senior hockey. That was like the most hockey I ever played in a in a season. And then the following year, we ended up winning uh, an AUS title again with UMB and beat St. FX in the final, which is a little funny. So I won, a, won with St. FX beating UMB in the AUS final. And then I, I won with UMB and beat St. FX that's in the AUS wild. final. I knew you won with both, but I didn't know it was like that. Man, that's never, yeah. that will never happen again. 
<laughs> pretty crazy actually. And you would enjoy this. So the my second year at UMB, um, I was actually playing forward. <laughs> really? And so I was playing like a like a fourth line uh, power forward. And you might not know the name, but with uh, I was playing on a line with Mike Thomas. You know who you mean. Who, He's a freak too, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. So he was like a St. John Sea Dogs Mem Cup winning captain, like the scariest guy in the league. His whole Q career, like the guy's just a truck. And uh, he was actually my first major junior fight ever. I fought him at 16, and then I ended up playing on a line with him in uh, AUS hockey. Oh, so crazy. And you guys must have been a hilarious line to watch go out there and just bang. Oh, them. man. Exactly. Like <laughs> no lateral movement at all, just straight lines, dump and chase, and try to headhunt, try to stay out of the box. That was about it. How fun is forward when you have a role like that? It's unbelievable. It's, it's unbelievably fun. There's almost no care in the world. Yeah, like, you don't want to get scored on, but when it's just like dump and chase and bump and grind, like, oh, it was a blast. Cover your guy, cover the point guy in your own end. Other than that, you're just kind of skating as hard as you can into people. Man, playing D is so much more stressful. Oh my God, so much more stressful. I find that too. And it's funny because you, you're, I had a buddy who came on this podcast too, and he's gone the opposite way. And he was trying to tell me that he finds D is way easier. And I said, I don't think so. Well, like I am um, in one way, like I think playing D is easier, especially, especially when we're playing like senior hockey now, because you, I got to stay on the ice for, for so long and you can, you can relax more. Like I was always completely exhausted at the end of my forward shifts, but at least some shifts on D you can, you can kind of glide yeah. out there. A I will say a hundred percent though. Like I definitely, you skate a lot more and a lot harder when you're playing up front. Oh, for yeah, sure. Like, I, I'm big time. like way, way more. So D you can definitely get away, you know, a couple more glides, but I mean, forward is so fun though. When you do have that role. Cause I, you know, oh, yeah. like, I played forward and I played major junior and I that was basically what I just did was run around trying to hit people. It was fun. But, uh, oh man, we keep bringing up, we got, we're going to have to have a follow-up podcast with Rob McDonald on. Cause I, so. I was just thinking, as you were saying that, um, the first time I would have ever done that as a D man, get put up front was Rob, Rob McDonald used to put me up front on a line with Rankin and Cole. Cause they were both puny back, back when we were like growing up and probably Bantam and Pee even Rankin and Cole were like two feet shorter than everyone else but they were still sick like they were still had the same hands they have now oh man that we actually that's a good idea one day we'll have to get the legendary uh long tenured miramichi timberwolves head coach rob mcdonald on the show <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll get in contact with his people we will i actually um i used to talk to him every now and then i used to try to get him guys from a west and i randomly sent him a text not long ago and he called me back, and I actually haven't returned that call. So I'll have to get in touch with Rob. We'll, I don't think he'd agree to ever coming on the show, but maybe I'll just like <laughs> hold the phone up to uh, – phone, hold the phone Just up. trick him. Yeah, because yeah. he, he loves to chat on the phone, so I could just trick him into thinking that it's a, it's a normal phone call. Oh, yeah, just start out by talking hockey, and you'll, you'll reel him right oh, in. Oh, yeah, he'll be, be lost. Uh, he'll be just <laughs> gone. Um, after you finished up at school, though, you go over to play in the EIHL, which is also known as like the British League. It's over there in the UK. How was that? You were there for like half a year or something like that, I think. But what, was it a sweet time? Like, I'm jealous. I'd love to play in that league. T talk a little bit about that. It, it was a blast. I honestly, like, I think the main goal was 
to actually go and do it while I thought I still could. And before my hips got too bad, which they, they ended up being bad anyway, but no, it was, it was a blast over there. And, you know, I think that that style of league in the EIHL, that style of hockey, it's a lot more similar to North American hockey, just a lot more probably dump and chase and, and crash and bang, you know, the things that we were just talking about. And I think that style suits me a lot more. You know, <laughs> I didn't necessarily want to be on uh, Olympic size ice getting toe dragged by some super skilled uh, Europeans, but you know, there was a little bit less of that probably in the EIHL, which, which definitely helps me in my game. You know, <laughs> I'm more of a meat and potatoes guy, block some shots and, and you know, that, that league kind of suited me a little more for that. Did you, were you playing on the, you were playing on the back end when you played there though? Yeah. Yeah. Return to my old, uh, my old home. That that's definitely what's more natural for me. And, uh, you know, I played most of my AUS besides that last year as a D man, I'm definitely more comfortable. And I found it forward. I was always like, Am I supposed to be here? Like, am I yeah. in the right spot? There's, you know what I mean? There's so much more to think about in, uh, I feel like, playing forward. But, man, you're a solid D-man. Like, I almost – I can definitely see why you'd be effective, uh, you know, playing that role, like smashing guys, especially if you're playing on a line with that Mike Thomas freak. Um, <laughs> yeah. But – you man, I obviously only playing with you, in, but you were nasty that year we played in, in Miramichi. You tore that league apart. Like I'm looking right now, 31 games played, 24 points, 122 pims. Like you were. I like the pim stat. The pim stat's pretty impressive. I think. Yeah, I think that's pretty good for 31 games, especially in our era too. Like not many like people are oh, yeah. 122 anymore. So, I mean, you, you're definitely a good player. So I mean, it was no surprise seeing you take it over to, uh, to you know play where you did after in, in, in St. of X and UNB and then over there in Coventry. But what was that, what was that league like? Did you, were you impressed by it? Like how different was that from playing in the AUS? Was it a step up, step down, or, you know, just kind of different, you know, pro hockey? What was it like? You know, I thought it was, it was pretty similar, I guess. Like it was, it was definitely surprising. Like I think that league probably doesn't get enough credit as it should. I mean, there's, there's a lot of good hockey players and, and, Maybe that's just goes to show like just how good hockey players are in general these days. Like I feel like we might have been the last generation of hockey players who could, you know, have some success without playing 12 months a year and just continually getting better and working on your hands 24/7 and yeah. you know what I mean? Everybody's so skilled now that it's just over my head now like I couldn't I couldn't play hockey 12 years or or 12 months a year anymore or yeah. Even back then, I I will have it. to speak. Yeah, I agree with that so much. We were, I think that what you said is so true, guys. You know, you, you're a '93. I'm a '94, and you know, I'm still trying to play. And you know, some of us are stopping right now. But we were that era that you know, you'd, you'd played other sports in the summer and you did other things in the summer. Well, those days are fucking long gone. If you want to be good at anything now, you have to do it 24 seven every second. And if you're not stick handling in your basement, you're wasting fucking time, basically. Yeah, that's what it feels like, which I feel like that. I mean, maybe you ask, you know, six year old Trey or six year old Harrison, you know, maybe we're like, oh, yeah, like I'll do that. But, you know, I, I can't imagine just doing that 24 seven, which it seems like you almost need to or else you'll fall behind these days. Yeah, I honestly like that's the problem, though, because pe- some kids do do it. So now if you're a kid that doesn't do it and you don't have those mitts or something like that, like especially at a young age, like. If you're developing those skills a little earlier than other people, like that's such an advantage at those ages. Like that's such a huge thing. So now kids are just going to be horned if they're not doing toe drags in their basement until their palms bleed and their dad's screaming from upstairs. 
Like, oh yeah, and like I, I'm trying to get away from uh, even be going on to hockey schools as an instructor because the hands, the hands on these kids are way better than mine. Oh my god, if they're like set up to do uh, some of those dangle around those pylons or those little those little dummies there, like. I can't even demonstrate that compared to some of these kids oh, that are back and towing it and stuff. Like I was like, I literally can't do any of that. So yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. I've thought about that too. I'm like, fuck you. I, you'll never catch me out there with my tracksuit on trying to fucking do that pulling <laughs> a groin in front of all the kids yeah. because it is actually, that's one thing though. I find that's hockey training. Now you just like grab a bunch of sticks and pucks and just throw it on the ice. And then you just tell the kids to skate random patterns through it. That's like the Patty Kane. It, that, literally. It throws all the pucks, eh? And I don't know. What an industry, too. I feel like there's so many – like every guy that's ever played hockey, I feel like, is just starting his own hockey school and just putting, making kids skate laps around pylons. It's, 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 I, I, honestly, I love to see it. Man, it's – but you can make a killing. Oh, seriously, man. Hockey. Like I know a couple oh, guys that are doing it, and I, I almost would love to do it. I knew a guy that I played with briefly in the Southern League, and he – lives in a van and just cuts around the States all year. And in the summer, he just has like a pad and he runs zoom stick handling clinics from his, wherever he's at in North America. Oh man. That's that's for work in the summer is like unbelievable story. But hockey, crazy hockey parents, they will pay for anything. They'll, They'll buy anything. Oh, seriously. They'll buy all of it. Such a, it's, it's actually sick too. Cause it's just going to further the gap. I feel like, like hockey's such a rich kid sport already already yeah a thousand dollars for like top of the line skates yeah. is that not crazy that's insane no, it's, a thousand it's gross and then especially like the sticks too like it's not good i feel like it's I, I don't know what there's the solution is but it's not a great direction that hockey's going to be very inclusive for everyone so oh it's terrible it's just terrible it's just, it's just too it's just way too much money man it's just it's it's crazy um a thousand dollars that's like more than my car's worth and a pair of hockey skates. <laughs> yeah, seriously, it's a joke. Like people can't afford that. Um, last thing I want to ask you, we know we just talked a lot of hockey, but you did you did shed your shit a lot. Like who who are some of the toughest guys you fought? And you fought some big boys over there in, in the EIHL. There's some tough bodies over there. Oh, Speak a bit man. about well, uh, some of the fights you had because you had some good ones for sure. Oh, they're a blast. You know, I just got to throw. That's my that's what you got to think. I find, but um. Like you said, in the EIHL, I fought a guy named Jake Doty. I know exactly who you mean. He's terrifying. And that guy is a monster. Yeah. Oh, my God. And the thing was, I hadn't fought in over, you know, a long time. And I went to grab him to get a hold of him. And he had he had no, like, chest piece on his shoulder pads. It was literally, he had his sho- the shoulder cups were just tied together with a, a skate lace. No. So I went to grab his shoulder pads and get a grip. And all I felt was skate lace. And I was like, this isn't good. <laughs> and then he just, then he just un like just unloaded on my head. Oh man, that was a schlocking. And I couldn't get couldn't stand up. Oh, that was a bad one. He, but hey, that it was fun. He, it was a good time. It's funny. I know he played I used to play for Lethbridge and he played for Medicine Hat one year. When I, and he's a tough body. I'm not gonna lie, I never fought him. I, I never asked <laughs> him to monster, fight either. <laughs> he's man, oh he's a fridge. God. Does not like what you tell me that, that he doesn't even wear shoulder pads. He just wears what he just told me. Like that doesn't surprise me at all. Oh my god. No, the guy's a truck. Is he still playing over there? Um, I'm not sure. So like the year that I was there, he was with um the Panthers. Whoever the Panthers are over there. Uh Nottingham? Yeah. I think he was with Nottingham. But um yeah, so he's probably He'd be close up there with like 
Mike Thomas and Blake Millman, who played with Cape uh, Breton and Major Junior. And that guy is an absolute monster. He's 6'5", like 240 or 250. And he won a strongman competition in PEI. Like, oh my God. I, I remember that. He, he won it like the summer while he was playing Major Junior, didn't he? Yeah, that's that's ridiculous to win a strongman competition. And, oh yeah, I'm going to go play Major Junior and probably fight some kids that are, uh, you know, 16 years old. Yeah. And well, I guess he's not fighting 16 year olds, but he, he oh I remember play, playing against him in the Maritime League. He played for Somerset. No, he played for Amherst or something. Remember that? We would have played against him. In that league, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He was down there, but no, I don't and he would just bark at people. Eh? How, so those are, yeah, those are some pretty tough bodies. Um, did you find that when you played in the queue, though, it was a pretty tough league at the time? Like, there's lots of fights then, eh? Well, like now, there's no, there's almost no uh, enforcers at all. Which I mean, it's not a bad thing, I don't think, because just goes to show that you know everybody's skilled these days, and nobody seems to care about fighting as much unless you need it right but when we when i played almost every team still had like one enforcer who was there to fight or at least like one or two guys that were going out there just trying to stir shit up yeah, yeah. and there's, there's just none of that anymore like is, there's no fight rule limit in the queue is there like there is in the o no what is there one in the yeah o? dude the o has a three fight limit right now on on like the season? Yeah, dude. You and you can like I I worked. Uh, I was a bartender for the battalion in North Bay when I worked there because they played on off nights when I didn't play. And I'm not joking, dude. I worked almost every home game last year. There was my, maybe three fights at home the whole year. Yeah, like it's a that's fucking insane. That's a, so I wanted to make sure because the dub hasn't done that. I'm not sure if they're fighting as much as when even when we, when we would have played but i mean there were still guys in the queue that were getting 20 plus fights a year like way yeah exactly that. like that yeah i wonder and how many like, i wonder what like the who had the most fights in the league last year in the queue like how many that would have been i i bet you it's definitely under 20 i, I would i, I bet you might yeah. even be under 10 i don't know it sucks there used to be this website called dropyourgloves.com do you remember that is that not not a thing anymore? It, it, that, it that went, off, it went offline, man. It used to be the best site it, ever. It, it, was, it was literally like it was like your hockey DB or your elite prospects, and you but could, just fight, just fights, and you could re- people would leave reviews. You could call like people would vote who won. Like it was kind of like <laughs> hockeyfights.com, but it was way more interactive and it was way better. I remember that site for sure. Yeah, like it was. I would always go like if you got in a fight. Like I was such a nerd. Even then, I I would sometimes go look and see what people set up. I got my head beaten or something. Um, but that was well, funny. I just like to put them up on the smart board in class when the kids are acting up. Now you so should keep just them say fun. this could be you. <laughs> yeah. One thing we do have to talk about. We were just on that last thing about fighting. We we're talking about fighting. Is you? If anyone's listening to this podcast and you haven't seen this. Go on to YouTube right now and type in Trey Lewis fights two guys at once. It's the funniest fucking thing you'll ever see. Can you talk about that a bit? So when people, I'm going to just do a little background. I can still see it. I've watched the video like 20 times. <laughs> Basically, some you're playing Bay Como, right? Like where the fuck is Bay yeah. Como to begin with? Way, it's like way up northern Quebec. It's the furthest, it's the furthest road trip of the year. It <laughs> sounds like a dream. Um, Bay Como. So you're playing them and a guy just absolutely runs your goalie who was Zach Fucali. Was this the Mem Cup year? This isn't playoffs. Yes, this is in the, the, the QMJHL finals and it's game four. 
we were up two to one in the series. They had just won game or sorry, wait, how am I doing this? It was four to one, three to one. Oh my god. This was game four, yeah. It was three to one. This was game five, because we went two, three, two. Mm-hmm. And it was in Bay Camo. And there was 30 seconds left, and we were up like four goals. And their guy, their goon, dumps it in on Fukali and runs him with like 30 seconds left. Like the game's over, yeah. and they ran him. And then. Wait, so you were going, so, you were going to win the series then? No. Oh, man, I screwed this up. It was 2 1. Okay. So sorry, we were going to go up 3 1. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so this guy, they're not going to win the game, though, and this guy runs Fukali. Exactly. Yeah. Runs Fukali. Big scuffle. And then Fukali skates into the opposite corner, and somebody else runs him over in that corner. So I run over and grab him. And the ref, <laughs> I found the funniest part was the ref was holding me and that guy so that I didn't fight him. And then when somebody jumped on my back, the ref just let it go and just let the fight happen two on one. <laughs> Which, I mean, Man, it worked out. She kind of thrashed the two of them. Well, the guy was completely on my back. He almost he almost got me down in like a headlock, but I squeezed the big head out of that out of that somehow. I don't know. Man, that I Please, anyone listening to this, go watch it on YouTube. It's fucking hilarious, man. And honestly, quite embarrassing if you're one of those two guys that try to take you on and then you kind of get dusted off. Like, it's actually hysterical. It's it's pretty entertaining. Like, I laugh at that. Like, I just laugh. I can't help but laugh the whole time. Like, I can't believe I did that. Uh, like, you know what I mean? It just sounds so crazy or looks so crazy. It's honestly so funny, though. I love it. Like, <laughs> it's such a good, like, I've literally... I think I've shown people that video, just being like, "Man, I know this guy. Like, this is hysterical." Um, <laughs> that was that was one of Johnny Moore's most viewed videos on uh, on YouTube. Shout out to Johnny Moore, Sports and More. That guy's a legend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. That's unbelievable. Um, I mean, I think we talked a lot of hockey here. Um, we could probably cut it at that. I mean, we were already, we're already yeah, up the. Forty minutes We're there. Over at forty minutes over there. As you see the counter. Um, one thing I did want to talk about, and it actually it's perfect. We were talking about it briefly on the phone, but like this is a terrible segue, I guess you'd call it. But like, what the fuck is going on over there in Nova Scotia with the fishing? Oh man! So there's a bunch of protests happening right now. So there's um, indigenous fishermen, um, actually Mi'kmaq fishermen, which is the same tribe that I am in Nova Scotia, and they are exercising their treaty rights, which allow them to fish lobster out of season for a moderate living. It's been proven in court. And for some reason, non-Indigenous fishermen have decided that they're fed up with this nonsense and they're trying to protest the Native fishermen fishing. Like I, I, I don't understand why they're out here trying to make a big fuss out of nowhere and they keep crying that it's for conservation yet they're cutting lobster traps which you know gets hundreds of lobsters stuck at the bottom of the of the river like what they're obviously just whining for what i don't know i gotta i can't figure out why this is happening and it's just disheartening i guess is the word (laughs) so for people that are not really familiar with the story, which is I'm assuming a lot of people because for some reason no one pays attention to anything that goes on in Canada like at all. <laughs> like it's just not important for some reason. But this is kind of a wild thing to have happening. Like, So they started about a week ago, am I correct? They started their own lobster fishery 
And it's like, traditionally, this is not lobster season. So yeah, this is what is kind of, I guess, upon other things started this to be a big scenario, a big kerfuffle. But like you said, I think it was literally yesterday or the night before these, uh, these uh, fishermen in this reserve have gone out and put a bunch of traps out and these non-indigenous fishermen in protest have come and cut the lines on them. And basically, like you used to say, there's probably fucking hundreds of thousands of fucking lobster in there. Not hundreds of thousands. Yeah, there's exactly. A lot, there's a lot of shit in there. So oh, yeah. the, the argument, I guess, is, and I have friends that are fishermen and work in, in Nova Scotia, and, and I asked one of them briefly about this, but they were saying that the only complaints I, I think that some people are, are saying is that it's it's going to like fuck up the, what do you say, the stock or like the uh, cycle of the breeding or whatever. But I mean, like, I don't know. Like, what's like, is that the argument they're having? Or is this more, do you think, like, is it racially fueled maybe more so? Well, I think it's it's definitely racial fueled. And I think there's definitely some jealousy in there or, or you know, it's it's kind of like the people that will sit there and say, you know, natives don't pay tax and that's not right like that it's that type of mindset like i was actually just getting into an argument with a guy on twitter and he was trying to say well what about the natives blocking uh, the railroads and I was, it's like first of all this is a completely different subject line yeah. and he's like well you were being racist so like reverse racism like i don't think it's possible to be racist against white people and i'm half white like i'm not going to be racist against half of my yeah. half of who i am you know what i mean but it, it's just, it's gotten a little ridiculous where, where now, um, you know, the, the non-indigenous fishermen have gone out into their boats and are like circling around the native fishermen and, you know, they're, they're making lines to try to in, intimidate them. And, and, uh, it's, it's getting a, a little ridiculous really for, for, for something that's already been settled in court. And, and, you know, it's, it's our right. I mean, to, to think that, the like they're just uneducated is is the is the biggest uh i i would say that's the number one factor in this scenario um so for people that don't again know the context of what we're talking about this is in Sonyeville, right is that what it's called how do you pronounce it Sonyeville in nova scotia? in nova scotia i think yeah or it's around it's around digby area well, i think it's closer it's not down toward yarmouth all the way but it's down toward that way am i not correct it's on the north side yeah. of nova scotia like Cross yeah, the water exactly. would be New Brunswick, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I've like I've never been through this area, but I'm assuming that these areas of people they're like they must rely on this as an industry to some degree. When they're saying moderate fishing, like moderate to for like what's the term that they're saying they're allowed to do? Like a, a moderate livelihood is what was what was in the treaty, but like just you can even see that on the pictures on social media, like the native fishermen aren't going out and hauling up thousands and thousands of dollars worth of lobster. That's going to, you know, they're not going to take all the lobster and destroy the lobster population. And that's what the argument, I guess, that the non-indigenous fishermen are trying to make that they're going to destroy the, the lobster population. But it, you know, I don't think there's any backing behind that. I guess like that's probably like the string that people like they're pulling on for this argument is mean is, is the con the conservation argument. But like you said, I think there's 970 something licenses issued in Nova Scotia 
And again, I'm not a fucking scholarly article. Like, I mean, what I just said might not be exactly true. So please don't come. I had someone come at me the other day because I said a stat wrong. And I was like, well, <laughs> fuck up. I'm like, what am I, a book? Like, it's, it's people, actually ridiculous. People need to be right, yeah, eh? People like, love to be right. So it's something like that. It's under a thousand, but I think like 5% of that are like aboriginals of those licenses. So I don't know if it's like, is it something that's hard for, you know, indigenous people to get these licenses? Like, so that to the point that they're starting their own fisheries, which by the 1999 Marshall ruling, I believe that's what you're talking about. eh? That's the. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So they're allowed to do this. So. Oh yeah, it's been and, it's their right to fish out and and hunt out of season. And the boats they have, again, not exact. They're tra- like the traps they're carrying on these boats would be far less than any other commercial fish oh, yeah. they would have access to. So, I mean, what do they have? Five boats in this reserve? Oh, like it, it's it's the conservation thing. I think is so ridiculous. Like these guys aren't out there with these massive million dollar boats hauling up just endless amounts of lobster. Like that's not what's going on at all. They're just exercising their treaty rights, which they're entitled to. <laughs> so as, as natives are allowed to fit, they're allowed to fish year like year round though. Right. Like, that, like that's what I thought. Like I was almost surprised that this was even like a thing to begin with. Well, it's, it, it goes based on treaties, right? So different areas have different treaties and the treaty for this area says that yes they they're allowed to fish out fish lobster out of season to make a moderate living yeah. they're allowed it's it's already been proven in court you know it's i don't understand how they can just all of a sudden be upset with like oh my god they're fishing out of season what are we going to do like they've they've always been allowed to it's all it's always been their right it's only you know we had to go to court to prove it in 99 i think like you said 99 maybe but it's been proven. It's, you know, it's, I don't understand what the argument is. I just one like one thing I've heard from this, which I will quickly address. This story is just so poorly covered in our news. Like there's no, like it's, you can't even get it. Like if you read the CBC article, you go read the CTV one and the global news one, they're the exact fucking same. And some of them I believe are literally almost word for word, the exact same. Like it'd be great to write for oh, yeah. one of these companies. Cause you don't have to do a fucking thing. You just copy and paste whoever <laughs> else is saying, but I mean, oh, yeah. what's the, there's an Aboriginal network, APTN or something like that. And their coverage is good too, but I, I just find I, it doesn't clearly like tell, it just tells us about the conflict. It doesn't really tell us about how this has all come about, like what's actually going on. So like, oh yeah, I actually, there, I was trying to call, I cold called a journalist from CBC about Aboriginal affairs and he did not get back to me before this, did not before this episode. I was really hoping to, but, uh. That's been, well, that's been an issue for, you know, not just this particular issue for natives. It's been endless amounts of issues, you know, don't get enough publicity. I mean, look at the endless number of missing and murdered indigenous women in this country. Like it's, it's almost a pandemic. If you look at the numbers, like it's, it's shocking and you don't hear anything about no, it ever. No one talks a fucking lick about, uh, yeah, about it's Canada. Just, it's actually wild. Yeah. Crazy. No, it, it truly is. Now. What are your thoughts? Like, I guess, like, this is a completely loaded question, but like being part native yourself, like you mentioned, like, what are your, like, how, how are things, do you think, like, how, how are we as Canadians in 2020? Like, how are things realistically, do you think, like, from a social standpoint in terms of, I guess, re- the relationship between, you know, all of the people in Canada that call this place home at the moment? Yeah, well, it's, it's definitely, like, there's, there's probably, uh, like optimistic 
outlooks on it. You know, like an out an optimistic outlook is that you know this is the first generation of indigenous people that are really allowed to be indigenous. Mm-hmm. You know, you know the last residential school closed in '99, which is just psychotic to think about. Yeah, you know, but so this is we're finally you know making some improvements because we are starting to recognize that you know we fucked up in the past you know that it's enough to admit it but now what are we going to do right we we got to start building for the future instead of just trying to throw money at issues of the past and for some reason uh people seem to think that you know well you guys don't pay taxes and and you know we we're you're allowed to be native now so why aren't you why aren't you guys just fixed why haven't you fixed all these issues and like no they don't understand because we haven't been taught the real history like it took me into my university degree to really learn the true extent of what happened to indigenous people in Atlantic Canada in Canada as a whole in North America and the more i learned you know the more shocking it was and the more i wanted to try to help it you know what i mean oh, so i just think that people we need to educate people on the history on the current issues and on how indigenous people want to move forward because ultimately we want it to be in indigenous people's hands how we move forward in the future right no 100% and like in your standpoint like how how does that look like wh- like i'm not saying that you're some fucking mind who's supposed to be having these innovative <laughs> ideas that are going to you know make our future right but what do you think we got to do as a society? You know, you're, you know, you're like, what do you, at the moment, like, how do we move forward? How, like, what, what does that entail? Well, I think, I think, um, there's a pretty good chunk of the percentage of indigenous people, you know, that want to eventually get to uh, self-governance. You know, if, if we can't just, we can't just do it automatically. It can't just be like, okay, you guys are your own sovereign nations. Figure out how to run your government. Figure out how to do all that stuff, you know, because we're just not ready yet for that, I think. Mm-hmm. But I think that's the ultimate goal is to have First Nations become their own self-sufficient, self-sustaining, their self-sovereign nations, essentially. I think that would be a, a great end goal, you know, where we're in, we're in charge of how we help our people we're in charge of our future and you know we're not just relying on on the federal government's checks you know what i mean and their funding that's where i would like to see first nations be in the future for sure so to a degree like as at the moment are first nations like you're not considered like canadian or american or you're just considered first nations right if you're is that not true it's actually you actually like um you actually get dual citizenship and and now that's also that could that could not be right across the board in Canada, but I know like as uh, Mi'kmaq, I I actually have American citizenship too, and there's actually a few of uh, quite a few people from my reserve in Elzey Booktuk that went down to the U.S. Marines. Like my godfather was a a former U.S. Marine just because they they have the option. Oh really? I see. I didn't I didn't yeah. realize that. So. When you say sovereignty, I guess what you mean is because I, I guess that act popped into my mind. I thought I knew that. But you mean just like the power to just completely make your own decisions and stuff and whatnot in, in terms of what those communities, what these reserves are doing? Yeah, exactly. Like it's pretty much like their own our own government, their own little nation inside a nation. Yeah. It's like Quebec. Quebec wants to be their own little nation. <laughs> 
seriously. So like, what what would that even like? What what would that look like in terms of like how would that work inside of Canada? You know what I mean? Like, I'm trying to. Yeah, for sure. Well, like I'm I I'm not a hundred percent sure on this too, but I'm there are definitely uh you know reserves down in the states that are they're considered sovereign nations and they're 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 not interfered with by the federal government at all. And, you know, some reserves, it's, it's greatly benefit them and, and they found a way to put in their own infrastructures and their own economy and stuff. And some, some reserves down in the States are really thriving Mm -hmm. and are really rich. And there's also the flip side of the coin where it's just almost third world country, you know, conditions down there. And so that's why I would say that we're not quite ready for that because those third world conditions are just horrendous. And we have those up in Canada too, but don't get me wrong. But, you know, I think we still need to be able to build a full plan of, of how we want to be completely sovereign and, and self-sustaining and self-sufficient, right? No, for sure. I mean, I guess this is cool. I guess this is like a just a question that I never thought of asking. And then you hearing this is just something I guess I never really thought about. So, I mean, it's just interesting to hear. Oh yeah. Well, like I said, it's, it's, it's something, it seems as though Canada's more than happy, just kind of forgetting indigenous past and, you know, just kind of keeping it in the shadows a little and maybe ignoring it. And so hopefully the issues will go away, but you know, that's obviously not going to work. No, no, for sure. And I mean, it is, it it is sad to say that in a, in a way as Canada has kind of just turned, turned its back on the history of of what's gone on in, in that regard. And I mean, it's definitely not right, but I mean, it's nice to have these conversations where, you know, we try to talk about where we can go from here, you know, and maybe actually try to make some progress instead of uh, just always having one step forward, two step back. I mean, I mean, I hope that through us, even just like talking about this scenario, you know, we're shedding light onto, you know, I guess issues we'll call them at the moment that, you know, involve people that are, in our country that are Canadian and like, I mean, this is, I, I just find it, it's just, it's just a very odd scenario to me. I mean, like, I don't even know. Well, everything, like, everything's got to be so polarized in our society today, right? Maybe. Like every, it's gotta be, you got to be on one side or the That's other, I mean. but it doesn't have to be like that. Like just have conversations. Like you said, just talk about it, educate yourself, educate people around you, you know, don't do it out of, hate and out of anger and that's not going to really solve anything you know what i mean like 100 no, there's a time and place for standing up for yourself but in the long run we gotta we gotta come together like you said no for sure so i mean just here's to hope and there's going to be some more conversations about where we can go from here and not where we've been and and what's happened and you know you know what i mean like, like just nice to see oh yeah as, as a country and it'll be interesting to see if uh this this story gets any more government attention i mean the DFO, the Department of Fishing and Ocean, I believe that they're called. Like they, she made a statement on it. Didn't really make anyone. <laughs> didn't really do anything but ruffle feathers further. So, I mean, it'll be interesting. Yeah, exactly. How this yeah. Scenario just gets taken care of and how it progresses forward. Oh yeah, we'll be keeping a close eye over here too. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, Trey, what do you want to talk about other than that? I mean, we're we're nearing on the hour mark right now, man. This kind of just flew by. Wow, this is going to turn into a Joe Rogan one. Seriously, man. And then honestly, <laughs> I always said to myself that I wasn't going to make long episodes because I was worried that I wasn't interesting enough for people to tune in that long. But this has definitely been my longest interview. So this has been great, man. This has been great. I really oh, appreciate yeah. you it's coming. It's been a blast. 
Um, you're also a no, good talker. You got, you got some good, uh, some good stuff to talk about. I mean, I think we're going to have to have you back on one day. And, and if I'm doing a fucking episode every week, like I plan to, I mean, I'm going to be running out of guests very quickly. So you might be on the rotation. <laughs> I love that, man. Yeah. Like it, like, like you said, I'm a good talker. I think that's a, that's a nice way of saying it's hard to shut me up. Right? <laughs> no, no. Well, we, there, you got lots to talk about. I mean, you've got some great life experiences and, and I mean, and you're always, uh, you and I used to have hilarious talks like this back in Miramichi after we got a little weird late night or something like that, like a subway over there by the earth. Oh, oh yeah, exactly. So, you know, put on just put on some planet earth on mute and uh, shoot the shit. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> well, buddy, thank you so much for doing this, man. This was awesome. So um, appreciate you having you on everyone. Thank you so much for listening. This is our boy, Trey Lewis, another successful interview on the project. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, man. Oh, thank you, bud. Oh, Trey, we hardly knew ye. What a good lad. What a great guy. Um, wish I got to see him more, but uh, we'll definitely, I think, have him back on the show. He's got a lot of uh, good things to talk about, and I think he'll be a good East Coast connection. I like to, I like to have guests from all over Canada and uh, all over the world eventually, so I uh, appreciate that. Big shout out to Trey. Um, very good guy, so um, thank you. Uh, fuck, I can say I'm just looking at here. This just caught my eye as I'm trying to speak. This is what's been really uh, in, in, the, in the corner of my mind here. Um, the NHL just announced its first all-star team for the season. And they have announced that the goalie will be Connor Hellebuck. Defenseman will be John Carlson, Roman Yossi. And the forwards are Dreisaitl, David Pasternak, and Artemi Panarin. So this is the... All members are receiving first-team honors for the first time in their career. And the only other time that ever happened was back in 1930. But this is also probably a big one. This is the first time there are no Canadian players on the all-star, the first all-star team. So the first all-star team is always just they do five players. They do like one line of players out in the ice. And not one Canadian lad on, the, on there. That, that, that's got to be a first. I'm seeing someone tweet that, that it is. But, I mean, it has to be. That's pretty crazy. That's pretty crazy. I mean, hopefully, you know, that's good for the game. I mean, there's tons of good Canadians out there still buzzing around. But, um, I mean, I just thought that was kind of a, a, an interesting and a, and a fun stat. Um, very odd here, Stanley Cup finals being played in the end of September. But, I mean, it, it's a good series. Dallas and Tampa Bay, I mean, they're just uh, – game two would be on right now. I'm missing the start of it. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how this goes. I mean, I hope there's no asterisks ever associated with whoever gets to win it this year because I like both teams. I mean, I don't really – I don't really have a stake. I don't really care who wins it. It's going to be nice to see. Hopefully it's good hockey. I've been personally, I don't know about you guys, I've been having, I've been finding it hard to even watch just because it's just, it just feels so odd to me. It doesn't feel like a time I should be watching hockey, but it is the Stanley Cup final, so I always tune in. I watched uh, most of game one there the other night, uh, but I was severely intoxicated while doing so. So I find when you watch sports and you're drunk, like you just you don't get anything out of it, and especially live sports. Like I've been to games like, the next day, I remember one time I went to a Flames game and I got loaded up with my buddy and it was at Christmas time and Johnny Gaudreau got a hat trick. And then the next day I see the highlights and they were like, and he got a hat trick and people were throwing hats. And I was like, I was there. I was at that fucking game and I didn't even know that happened. So, I mean, there's an issue there when you start when you, when you start drinking beverages and you're trying to pay attention and watch good hockey. So I hope everyone's managing that correctly. Um Baseball is getting into playoffs too soon. What a weird season with only 60 games. I mean, it just feels so weird that they're already about to be done, but it'll be very interesting to see how that all plays out. 
Football's back. Uh, my fantasy team's fucked. I took Christian McCaffrey first overall. He got fucking hurt. He's supposed to be out for six weeks. A lot of big injuries in the NFL this week. Uh, Saquon, Barkley, ACL, hit the fucking, hit, I think it hit the section six up there. Someone caught a ligament. Uh, it's not good. That sucks. That sucks for a lot of people's fantasy teams. And um, I don't think a lot of people feel bad for the fantasy players there, but you know, it sucks for these guys. Uh, it's tough. Um, I think we had a good episode though today, folks. You know, I'm not going to push it too much further here. We had a long interview. We had a lot of fun with it. Um, thank you for tuning in. I want this show to just keep growing, folks. And I'd love it if you could just toss me a rating on Apple Music. Download when you do. You have to download for the analytics for some reason to show up that you even listened. If you just press play, no one fucking has a clue. So get with the program, please, folks. Thank you so much for listening. I have so much fun doing this. Um, and the show is going to continue to grow. It's going to continue to get better. And we're going to have new crazy stuff coming out every fucking week. So thanks for joining the movement, the wave that is the Project Folks episode 10s in the books. Thank you. How are you? Yeah. I'd like to take this time, though, to dedicate episode 10 to um, a man who just recently passed away. My former neighbor, neighbor that was uh, grew up beside me my entire childhood, Tom Byers, who was a really good man, passed away unexpectedly the night of September 20th, 2020. And he leaves behind a great wife, Joanne, um, lots of relatives who loved him dearly. He was a brother-in-law, brother-in-law of Lanny McDonald, a very good man, very well-loved in the neighborhood we lived in. He was just such a good person. He was like that guy from uh, Home Improvement, the guy who was always behind the fence. Tom was my, what's the guy's name that does that? I forget, but you know who I mean. Uh, so shout out to him. I mean, a, a life taken too soon. I, I believe he was 68. I uh, definitely had more years in his tank. He was a great guy. I'm really going to miss seeing him. I just, when I was back in Calgary in August, <clears throat> had a good chat with him over the fence. Hadn't had one of those in years. So, I mean, it doesn't really feel, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel re- real. I uh, just found that news out, unfortunately, today. But folks, I mean, it's crazy. I, and this was unexpected. I, and, and I don't know what happened, but I don't believe that it was, you know, it was kind of out of the blue. So please uh, hug your loved ones. Take care of those around you and always be a good person because we don't know. We don't have a fucking clue in any of this madness. You know, we're every moment. A, it's a, it's a present and you shouldn't, uh, you know, you shouldn't waste any of them because we don't know what could happen. All right. So episode 10 is going out to the loving memory of Tom Byers, a damn good man. And I hope that one day you and I can swing the clubs and go for a round of golf when I meet you up on the other end of things one day. All right. Thank you so much, folks. This is episode 10. Talk to you soon.